0: Yeah, bro. So I was, I was, um, I was just watching that Jordan Peterson video and he was, he was talking a lot about him, like kind of like traveling around. He, he was traveling around and he did like a hundred cities in a couple of months. Did you hear that sound? Oh, that's my phone. I got the stupid ringer on. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm keeping that in. Um, (laughs) it's authentic. It's authentic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is raw footage. Yep. Might even keep the whole beginning part. Who knows? <laughs> 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 full, full, full transparency. Full-fledged. <laughs> yeah. This is me. Oh, uh, man. But, no. Let me um let me get down to the bottom yeah. because you and I are on podcast number two here. Yeah, part dude. Part two. Back of, at of it. Our, Again. Of our psych- psychology series. Oh, yeah. And... So like when me and you were planning this one out, we were like very diligent on coming up with a certain, a, a, a certain like m- mission, if you will, behind it, like a little bit deeper than last time where it was just surface level, like talking about, Hey, like, this is, th- this is essentially what we perceive um, as accountability, right? Like we talked a lot about accountability yeah. and <clears throat> sort of, some of the things that go along with accountability and the concepts of, like, the radical accountability, but this time I'm kind of shooting for giving some, like, one-on-one type advice, like, like some actual put-into-play type advice, and you were telling me, like, starting this semester at school, you've learned a
1: ton more. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I mean, part of it, so I'm in, I'm starting to get into my, like, counseling classes now, so it's, like, I'm actually learning, a lot of, a lot of programs don't really offer any sort of counseling classes, like, teaching you how to actually counsel, obviously, they don't offer those until, like, after your, after your bachelor's, um, that's usually, like, a grad school kind of thing, but um, I was fortunate enough to have one, so, um, we've been just learning basic, like, techniques and basic, like, I mean, kind of rules, but um, just kind of guidelines, really, about what um, what is appropriate for counseling and helping people get better. And um, something – one of the first things that I thought was um, – it, it kind of makes sense when I thought about it, but I guess I didn't really understand or I didn't uh, think about it before um, was that you – Part of counseling, and I mean this can apply really to just talking to your friends, helping them out, helping them through things in general, is um, you don't give them advice necessarily. Now, obviously, there's a time and place for that, especially with your friends and stuff. But for a therapist, you're not really supposed to give them advice, just direct, like telling them what to do. You're not instilling your knowledge and your values on them. You're helping them guide through, and you're guiding them through and walking them through what they feel is important, what they want to be doing with their life. Um, and help talk, help talk them through those emotions. So so it's pretty much guidance rather than, Hey, um, you're having uh, relationship problems. Oh, you should leave him. Oh, you should do this. Like there's a time and place for that, but it's, it's more so about guiding the person to come to their own conclusion about what would be best for them. And typically there's going to be some, maybe it's not as black and white as either you do this and it's good or you do this and it's bad, but it could be, something like um, there might be a couple good better solutions that might end up better for you than a couple other solutions so um, you can kind of guide them towards the general direction and typically when when people are talking through their own problems and stuff a lot of the time they'll just saying these things out loud and talking through their problems even just to themselves they're going to come to their own conclusions so it's not it's very little of or directing and advising it's more so of guiding and assisting and um enabling someone to come up with their own solutions because even if you even if you were to give them advice they can always be like oh well what do they know they can always um deflect it kind of right. you're like a gps right exactly so the gps doesn't control a car yeah Yeah. precisely so it's like you yeah, you, know, you can walk them through it and then when they come to their own conclusion then I mean you can't really argue with you came to your own conclusion and it's a lot more set in stone, I guess you could say.
0: Right. And like there's obviously like every single one of us is different and that's by design. And so of course we handle things differently. So like like the advice that you'll get, for instance, the relationship advice where it's like, Oh, you should leave her well that's obviously coming from somebody who cares about you. Of right. course. So there's bias. That's number one. Mm-hmm. So if you want bias, you you talk to your friends. That's that's you know, those are the kinds of people who are gonna have your back and they're going to give you advice that they deem to be best suited for you. Right. Now, that's great, but if you're looking for a solution, right, it's they're the last the last people to go to and for that very reason. Now I've never had a therapist tell me what I should do. I've had a therapist tell me what is maybe deemed to be most effective, Um, you know, and for instance, people like like Andrew Huberman, which I listen to a lot, there's reasons why, you know, there are objective, um, kind of at a loss for a word, like uh, objective strategies, if you will, that across the board typically work right it, it's like for instance in relationships yes you are getting that bias when it says leave them right if you're unhappy in the relationship and there's been x y and z that's been um like sort of accounted for you you've tried your best to recapture whatever's left of a relationship it's like yeah th- i mean th- this there's science behind disconnecting and detaching yourself from that situation because there's certain you know hormone levels and things like that in your brain that are running that are keeping you in that relationship and sort of blinding you to the things that are wrong. So obviously there's like an objective reality to all this, but you know I think a lot of this in my in my mind is accomplished by like having a stoic attitude. And so that's something like I've noticed in the last year or so that I've tried to implement which really like for me has boiled down to emotional regulation yeah. like not in, in situations that are intense or emotionally driven typically um or even just just not you know not even intense situations because a lot of the times and i don't know if this is you but like i freak out at annoying things yeah you know what yeah. i mean like the yeah. annoying things are what get me and so that's like a a domino effect right it's like it, it's exponentially growing the more you react negatively to like the annoyances in life the more miserable of a mood you put yourself into as a general basis for that day right or whatever like time frame sample you give yourself so you know like i even noticed it today right just at work stupid annoying things happening and it completely threw off my mood until I recognized it so you enjoy the topic of stoicism and you and I have talked about it extensively is it like
1: something that you've tried implementing in your life oh dude I mean 100% I mean it's it's hard to deny um anyone anyone saying that emotions cloud judgment I mean that's that's I feel like a pretty well understood fact about just how people operate. Um, You know, you get frustrated and you get, it's almost like being possessed. Like you kind of lose control. And I mean, some people, this is kind of common, not necessarily common, but it's not irregular for people to literally black out and not remember something in a fit of rage. Um, So you're, And your emotions, like, those are the same things that will draw a person to someone who is abusive, to someone who treats them badly, or treats them not as well as they deserve, even. And the emotions will, that you've built, the connection, it will keep you drawn to them. So that's 100% something that um, I think can really benefit anyone. Now, that being said, you can't be emotionless, like, across the board, because, I mean, that's just part of life, and... It's not necessarily that you don't feel the emotions. It's just that you find a good way to deal with them and um, essentially calm yourself down and bring yourself back to reality because you can get caught up and you can kind of fall down. It's almost like falling down a rabbit hole really of like you get upset. You're in a bad mood. Something puts you in a bad mood and then you start to focus on the bad things that are going on in, in your life and in general in whatever the day, like even throughout the day. Like when you're in a good mood, you typically notice the good things that are happening. Um, like whether it looks nice out, whether good weather, whether you see a bunny, like just stupid stuff. Um, but when you, when you get angry, the the flip side of that is you start to notice all the bad things. So being able to stop that train before it gets going, because I mean, that train can go, I mean, some people I'm sure people can relate. And I mean, I've experienced this myself of being like almost chronically angered just like wake up in the morning with almost a vengeance and just wanting, wanting a to... demon time. Yeah. <laughs> demon time. Yeah. I mean you just want to get your revenge on the world pretty much. And so that's, I mean, that's years and years in the making of just focusing on everything negative and bad and poor about life. So you get, it's once you, once you catch yourself, then you can kind of stop it. And then it's a practice of being able to catch yourself earlier and earlier before you get all worked up and in a bad mood and then you have to realize oh okay like stop it before it happens and for me i mean practical advice for everyone it's stupid and i'm sure everyone hears this and no one wants to hear it but take a deep breath literally like i tell i tell people that all the time like when they're when they're getting worked up and agitated and i don't mean it in a rude or disrespectful way obviously i mean it as literal practical advice like even if my tone may not sound like it like step back, not physically, but mentally, zoom out a little bit, uh, zoom out that perspective, we were talking about that last podcast, get a more broad perspective, and literally take a deep breath, it will, we're talking about the, or you were just mentioning the objective basis for kind of emotions, and objectively, your body biologically will react differently when you are like it forces your body to calm down. Your heart, re- your heart rate's going up when you're getting agita- agitated. Taking the deep breath, it gets more blood flow and it slows your heart rate because it gets more blood flow to your brain and your heart doesn't have to work so hard to get that blood going to your brain. So you take a deep breath and it's biological. There isn't like oh that doesn't work for me. Well, it does because it works for everyone and it's
0: yeah. It, it like like the there's like the fallacy that it works. Like it's like it's instantaneous. Like you take a deep breath and you feel like, like a wind of calmness over you. It's like, <laughs> yeah, dude, that's not wave how of it bless. works. Like, like yeah, exactly. It's like when we say take a deep breath, it, it's like, what you're trying to do is is biologically regulate your body. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you know, you can get to a point. Like this is kind of what I when I talk about stoicism, this is what I mean. Like you can get to a point where you are like, you don't necessarily have to take those breathers, right? Like, right. you can sort of, you can hit the nail on the head, uh, for lack of a better term, ahead of time. Yeah. Right, and you, you don't need to get to the point where something enrages you. And like, you know, it what it comes down to is like, there are, you know, it, it's true there are people who inherently have more of a a, a hormonal... Imbalance um, when they react to things, right? And yep. it's up to that person, kind of like what you were saying, guiding people. You can't force their hand. It's up to that person to recognize that their body, their their body's influx when they have an emotional reaction, is maybe more amplified than your average person. So they are somebody who could benefit from a biological strategy like right. the breathing exercises, whereas some people are a little more even keeled and that's not necessary for them right like they can they can just handle putting things into
1: perspective but that's also something that can be learned if i'm not mistaken 100 percent. i mean just through practice i mean like i mean i'm speaking from my own experience here this is not just me like speculating or anything this is genuine like I've been in places where I've been mad all the time and just angry at the world and shake your fist at the sky. Like I've been there, but the more you practice and I mean, it's, it was good for you to mention that it's not just going to be one, one kind of half, half ass deep breath, and then all your problems magically disappear and wave up like that's not going to happen. But if you actually put your focus towards your breathing and the oxygen coming into your body and the expanding of your lungs and, your diaphragm then i mean after a minute like literally it will be a couple of minutes and that might feel like a long time in the moment but it's going to be a couple minutes in reality and that will and then over time like you were just saying like you can you kind of stop that train earlier and earlier and then you're going to get to a point where that the train doesn't even start going because you catch it before it even begins like you're you're just constantly like if you're not constantly focusing on your breathing, but the more you – I mean breathing is like you practice. You practice it like you practice anything and you get better at it. And then you start to recognize the signs of um, becoming flustered or the emotions getting stronger. Like you you start to see those signs and you start to kind of understand what triggers those emotions and you kind of steer clear of that. Um, and then it, it just – it gets easier from there and then like you said, you get to a point where it's not even – not even something that you really have to consciously do. Now, obviously, there will be circumstances in which you probably will have to. Like, you know, if something truly tragic happens or something like you get really scared or something like that, like a really fearful situation, then, you know, you might have to. But, I mean, yeah, there's extremes. Right. Like, the, the, but there's extremes in everything. Exactly. And if you, like, the, it will take more of an extreme the more and more you practice it, right? Like, right. an extreme for someone who never practices their breathing might be they don't get their – someone gets their order wrong when they're getting food. Like that might be an extreme for some people at the beginning. And like that's – I mean that's enough to set people off. And I mean like I've said, I've been there and it's like I've understood that. But the more – that extreme might turn into like – I mean people do crazy things. People do some seriously heroic things. Like you the body – your body and mind can put up with a lot of stuff if you if you work towards it. So right. it, the extremes – they can they can grow and you can deal with a lot more essentially. Well, yeah, exactly.
0: That's the thing. It like the whole the whole strategy, the whole point is to try and try and widen widen sort of like that that um I want to say timeline because it's not a timeline, but widen that spectrum in which the extremes are what you like the extreme highs and the extreme lows because being stoic like let's not get this mistaken it's it goes both ways right like it, it we're not just talking about the extreme lows when you get insanely angry or insanely sad right and you react in an emotional driven way versus a logical way right it goes the other way too hyper excitement hyper happiness where you act in a in like a sort of heinous like cringy way you know what i mean like like i mean i i know that's kind of a loose way of putting it but like it seriously is it's like you know it's not it's not taking anything away from the human experience to try and regulate your emotions and the reason for that is because our bodies biologically and then like whenever i talk about this i i kind of reiterate things that i've i've heard from certain scientists like like huberman Mm -hmm. um is sort of on the biological side it's like our bodies are always trying to get back to baseline, yeah. right? And so it's like, like, especially on your highest highs, yeah. we often kind of complain about what, how, how some amazing, great, awesome things can happen to us, and it doesn't last for too long, right? It, or, or, you know, we say, oh, you know, this was great. I was super happy about this, but X, Y, and Z ruined it. It's like, no, no, no. If, if X, Y, and Z had done what they did and you weren't on a dopamine high. Then it would have been normal. It would have been normal. Right, yeah. The point is that you're looking, you're, you're looking for things to bring you back to baseline. And so it's like the art of stoicism is just essentially saying, like, listen, before you, get, before you let that dopamine rush and then, uh, like, reversal back to baseline affect you get ahead of the momentum, right? Get ahead of the snowball effect and put yourself in a position where, you know, you, what I have written down here is that it's the, it's the art of emotional regulation based on reality versus idealism. Right. Right. And so it's like, it's like when the most ideal expectations come to fruition, they become reality. Of course. Right. It's, it's like, It's like not most things that are ideal don't become reality but sometimes there are right sometimes you reach your goal sometimes you crush your goal but knowing that we inherently try and bring ourselves back to baseline biologically speaking wouldn't it be better to just train yourself mentally that when something very good happens or when something very bad happens The first thing to do is go to logic to put it into perspective, right? Like step one, okay, I'm in a very tough position right now, right? I have a lot of pressure right now, or somebody is, is up my ass and has been for a very long time at work, right? Like, like people tend to have issues with their bosses and usually they like, you know, take for instance, them, them holding it in and then kind of taking it out when they get home yeah it's like that is somebody who's emotionally unregulated right if they were if, if they had sort of like an element of stoicism within them they would put into perspective that well number one the logical decision to make if your boss or anyone for that matter is being a prick is to confront them All right right or they are completely logical in their rationalities and, what, and the things that they're bringing up to you are actually your fault. So yep. logical option number two is that you're at fault. Logical consensus says that when you get home, your family has nothing to do with your work. Yes. And so, you know, th- this idea that like we think that we're beings who need to like get it out, right? Like that idea that you need to let it all out. Get rid of your emotion, or uh, like, 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 just offload your emotion. Only, I don't necessarily think that's true.
1: It's only true if you let it build up in the first place.
0: Right. It's like, it's like, if you don't, the emotion, you have a, you have a choice, and and the whole idea is like, immediately upon situation, you have a choice in which direction to go. Are you going to let the dopamine take over? And if you're going to let the dopamine take over. It's inevitable, again, that well, number one, you're gonna have to come back to baseline at some point. So, you know, you'll be, you'll have a perspective that you otherwise didn't have, but you will have committed certain acts that you otherwise wish you wouldn't have. And so, but, but for a split second, you do have that choice in the very beginning. Like I said, when situation erupts, you choose to think. And approach it logically or you choose to think and approach it emotionally and now the level in which that level of difficulty in which that that is for someone depending on how they're wired emotionally and you know maybe certain things are piling on right and it's like the the last straw so to say it's it's not it's not stating that any of that's untrue all it's saying is that again, you have the choice in the very beginning to allow your emotions to get to a point where they dictate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, that's a great example actually of, uh, of people getting, getting frustrated at work and then going home and taking it out on their, on their family. Cause unfortunately that's, that's fairly typical. And that's a, that's a well-documented defense mechanism psychologically. It's called displacement. And, it's essentially, I mean, like you described, it's you get mad at one thing, but you can't really act out on it. So then that anger builds up and it doesn't just disappear. But as soon as you get an opportunity where you're comfortable enough to let it out, it's going to happen. And unfortunately, that's going to be with the people that you care most about, because you're, you care, you care about them most likely because you're comfortable with them and you can be open with them. And when you can be open with them, that comes with, that comes with the negative emotions as well. So you might let that fly. Like we talk about at work all the time. Working at a at the at a uh in childcare in uh in downtown Manchester. It's it's fairly high risk city. There's a lot of rough families and um kids will act out as a result. I mean they don't they're not really taught uh the appropriate, you know, just mannerisms and basic stuff like that and they kinda let out, um let their emotions go wild and they'll throw tantrums and whatever. But um we always try and look at it from the lens of like, hey, we are we've become a place comfortable enough for this child to let their emotions out because most likely, if they let it out at home, they might get beaten or they might get severely punished or so. Like, so, I mean, that's a good way to reframe it, but um, those emotions definitely build up and um, it's it's definitely difficult um to deal with it in the here and now. And it's difficult to not take it out because when it's when it's there, like it's just waiting, it's just bubbling and waiting to let loose. Um, and there's sometimes there's circumstances in which you can't really, you can't really uh, deal with it in the moment. I mean, uh, those are the extremes that we're talking about, though.
0: Yeah, right. And, and you're also referring to kids as well, which is like a a different conversation, right? Because it's like that, like the the kids the the children, understandably so, don't have don't don't have the capability to think rationally, right. right? And so, like, what this conversation comes down to is rational or irrational,
1: right? And they're you're right. A kid is not gonna conceptualize. Hey, well, this is probably as a result of me being like a kid. Will see whatever their parents do is completely normal anyway. They're not gonna conceptualize that. But that's I mean that's the difference between kids and adults. An adult is someone who's grown up and. Should in theory be able to recognize that kind of stuff and be able to deal with it on the spot. I mean, obviously, easier said than done. But, but for the reason I mentioned, kids is because it's like it's somewhat normal. Because obviously, you're not going to expect a kid to have that kind of deep psychology or deep thought process on this this topic. They're not going to recognize that kind of thing because they don't right. acknowledge it. But you know, if you're an adult, this is something that at at first you got to at least recognize. You know,
0: right. I have this quote here too and and I think that I'm going to do my best to try and connect it because it at, all, at surface level it's going to sound completely unrelated but it it goes when you're pinned into a corner you can always jump into the sky and the 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 point the connection I try and make between the two is that the the emotion that you feel in the moment right and and I'm going to highlight negative emotion because you know it, it's to me, it's not as dangerous, um, or, or, not even dangerous. That's not necessarily the right word, but it's not as problematic, if you will, to, to embrace an influx of positive emotions. Right. Now, again, unfortunately, dopamine is like a pendulum, so it doesn't it doesn't shoot up and then come back to baseline. It, it shoots back down. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, um, you know that that's. Mo- it's, it's normally found like, for instance, when you go on like a vacation, right? It's like you're anticipating the vacation, which typically is the best part. Actually, is when you anticipate the the vacation, right? Mm-hmm. You go on it, you're having a great time, and when you get back, you're actually worse off than you were prior to even the anticipation of the vacation. Yeah. Right. And so, like that, that's a that's a very generic example of it. But going back to the the quote, I mean highlighting the negative side of this conversation when you're pinned into a corner right when you feel helpless or you feel angry right you feel pinned by anger you feel pinned by hopelessness and helplessness jump into the sky meaning at least the way i interpret it is sort of like the logical answer right it's like when your two dimensions left to right and front to back are taken add in the element of the third dimension
1: yeah
0: right which is like okay it wouldn't be wise for me nor really possible for me to move forward or backward i'm in a corner pinned so what's the most logical decision for me to make right now jump up go up it's a leap of faith right is it going to work who knows and and take for instance a highly intense situation. Right now I could let out this this massive rush of emotion, or do I take the leap of faith and try and jump up, take the logical step forward instead. Do I know if it's gonna work or not? No. Is it going to be more challenging? Of course. But it's gonna be your best bet. Exactly.
1: And you're I mean you're aiming up. That's a that's a great it's a great example cuz i mean you're literally aiming upwards like you're aiming right. towards the ideal the best
0: right and and fu- funny enough the the way that quote is structured it just so happens to have that that element of like like positive upward movement as well right. which is which is also another fun element of that it's pretty symbolic um, yeah exactly and so you know like i said the focus on stoicism at least in my life has been the, I would say the biggest game changer for me this year yeah. because we waste so much time dealing in in the ideal, right? Because 90% of the time, the ideal does not come to fruition. I, I'd argue 95% of the time it doesn't come to fruition. So when you set your expectations too high and reality doesn't meet it, it's... Obviously, an emotionally draining situation. Yeah. Disappointment. And it happens too often to be somebody who is wasting so much time reacting in a poor manner. So, the art of, like I, like I keep saying, going back to the art of trying to teach yourself that there is another option, regardless of the anger. The, the anger is, is inevitable right it's you against the anger because the anger is not your friend right the anger in and of itself is a complete it, it's it's like the pendulum right like you feel so shitty that you want to feel good and like there's a reason we yell and scream and punch when we're angry it's because that is what makes us feel good in that moment right and so that's the pendulum of trying to swing the other way onto the other side of baseline but it's not necessary Number two, what I've noticed is that when bad situations happen, the best time when the things running through your head are are most fresh are right as they occur. So why would you waste an opportunity to come up with the most rational and logical decision in the moment while everything is so fresh versus wasting your time on the emotions, running down the rabbit hole of the what if, what could happen what is about to happen? What is happening? And then try and and start from there to build a logical or rational solution. Right,
1: because when you do it right away, you're dealing with the reality of the situation. When you ponder on it, you think about it, and what what could have been, you're dealing with literally an infinite number of possibilities. And then that's just too much to deal with. Um, one of the, I mean, I keep I keep talking about work, but one of the one of the rules we have is like if. You know, an incident happens and it's a pretty serious incident. We have to write it up and we have to just pretty much document it and give it to our bosses, upper management, whatever. But one of the rules regarding that is to write it down as soon as possible, as soon as possible, no matter, like if you get an argument with a kid and you get upset and it's, it takes a toll on you a little bit and you get uh, aggravated with them, it's better to do it then in hopes that you'll be able to regulate your emotion, emotion and, write something um, unbiased rather than to wait a while and kind of forget some of the details and kind of play it off a little bit and maybe it wasn't that bad and like like we were just saying going over all the possibilities it's important to deal with the situation when it happens rather than giving the emotions the opportunity to build up and right. not even giving it that chance right right It. it yeah It. it's you know
0: I almost look at it as like a game of telephone, right? Dude, it's like, such a good, such like, a good analogy. like within your own head, it's like, a, it's, it, the, the more bullshit you clog the filter up with, the harder it becomes to find a logical and rational decision. It's like the, the more idealistic options that didn't come to fruition that you wish did, the more of those that you go through, the more diluted and confusing reality becomes
1: well it's it's pretty well documented that people are you're not i mean you're obviously one person but in theory like in your head uh, for an example for like my stance is that you're a bunch of different sub personalities that come together to create one person and i mean really the only evidence you need for that is sometimes you wake up feeling really motivated to do really well for yourself and 2 a.m oh I'm going to get up really early and do a bunch of push-ups and read a book and go do all my laundry and feel really motivated. And then next morning comes around and it's a whole different person, literally within the span of a night, whole new person. It's, oh, I don't want to, and you're aiming back down. So you're a whole bunch of different emotions or a whole bunch of different sub-personalities all culminating into one person. So like you said, it, it is like a game of telephone to go through all those you go through all those different thought processes about what could have happened, the infinite possibilities, and you, you run those through, all the different mind, mindsets that you may have. And then by then, it will be completely distorted. It will be completely it, – it, it won't be reality. It will be clouded by emotions essentially.
0: Right. It won't be reality. It will just be the lack of ideal, right. which are two very different things. Because one is to is one is is like meant to be accepted because it's just objective. Right, right? Like the objective reality and the other is is diluted optimism. Right. Yeah.
1: Diluted optimism. That's a good way to put it.
0: So Alright, so moving on from stoicism. Before we get into the Moloch trap, which this one for anyone listening Just prepare yourselves because (laughs) I just learned this concept recently and I'm going to do my best to explain it. And I I think I actually, I
1: don't know if you knew it before, but I think I introduced you to it. You did introduce me to it in the same same way that I was just saying earlier that it's good to let people talk through their problems and to kind of figure things out on their own. It's exactly what we're going to be doing right now, I think, especially me. I don't know about you. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah. So, but before we get to that, um...
0: I, I sent you something the other day. I texted you this the other day, the insecurities thing.
1: That's right. And
0: I just wanted to cover that real quick because Love it. I think that I've become very big on words. I think that words are your best tool to articulate exactly how you feel, what you feel, when you feel it. And the more articulate the word, and the more um, specific the word, the better off you are. So you and I both know the, um, you know, I know we won't get too deep into it, but the, the victimhood culture that we live in and people love to label very normal highs and lows or, or l- l- let's just call it lows because people don't usually complain about the highs, but people love to label very average lows as like crippling. So we've all heard people say I have crippling insecurities, crippling anxieties, um, you know, crippling depression. I'll go so far as, as to say all those because, you know, the idea of cripple
1: first and foremost, which you, you look this up. What was the definition? It's, um, uh, I don't remember it off the, but the, I don't remember it specifically, but the gist of it was that it's essentially inevitable. Like if I'm, I'm going to look it up right now, cause yeah.
0: I, I think because
1: it was like, it was
0: inevitable. So to cause severe and disabling damage to debri- to, to deprive the ability of function or to function normally, geez, I
1: butchered the <laughs> hell out of that. But it's a, it's, it's like, if you just conceptually, if you think about it, like, if someone is crippled, you, my first—I don't know—I I would figure that most people. My first thought is that they are most likely unable to walk. Like if so, that's paralyzed. number two.
0: Ca- cause someone to be able to um, to become unable to walk or move normally, but right. that's the more specific version of it.
1: The very general version is deprive of the ability to function normally. Right, and that's that's the reason I bring up the more specific example is because the the same way that. I think I mentioned this to you earlier. The same way that uh, someone who's paralyzed from the waist down is inevitably unable to walk. Correct. Then that's that's crippled. That's like Correct. it's one hundred percent incapability. There's no coming right. back.
0: So if we're going to categorize something as crippling, number one, it better be it, it better be permanent. Right. Right. And so, if you if you want to categorize your insecurities, your anxieties, and your depression as crippling, then what you're telling me is you wanna you wanna consider them permanent. Which free will. If you want to live with those anxieties and insecurities and depression, convince yourself that they're permanent. So that's number one. I think "cripple" is the complete wrong word to use. You know what I wrote down in here, and and, and I think for the majority of people, this would be a more. Um, a a more common consensus for what it means. In my eyes, it means that you were up against an inevitable force problem or injury that needs to be accepted rather than healed or solved. So, so just assume for a minute that cripple meant you were just injured, right? Mm -hmm. It's still the complete opposite theory, right? So in my eyes, right? Getting injured, for instance, is like a quick blow to the gut. And it's a slow, slow healing process. Yeah. Where on the other hand, typically like insecurities and anxieties and depression isn't like a a, a quick blow, right? It's not one comment that puts you into a depressive state. Now, maybe an anxious state, right? Because, you know, you, you could... You could have a lot of pressure, and somebody makes the wrong comment, and you feel anxious. But that—that that people who are claiming to be crippling, um, to have crippling anxiety, aren't people who are just off the whim getting an anxious thought. I mean, they're people who, on a daily basis, feel anxious. Right. So, in it, getting injured, like I said, that's a that's a quick blow to the gut, in a slow healing process. Where, on the other hand. If if you're talking about like an insecurity or an anxiety or depressive state, that's a slow like adaptation, assumption of those feelings. But all it takes is one very brief perspective change to completely reverse that. So, of course, you know, they're they're massive and monumental feelings and you don't want to sugarcoat them. And beat, beat around the bush for it, right? It, it just, regardless of how you even want to slice and dice the word cripple, if you, like I said, if you want to pretend that it's not inevitable, it, it's not permanent and pretend that it's just injury, right? Just a temporary injury. It's still the opposite word to use
1: right. because it's, it, like I said, it takes one perspective change. To heal some of those things. No doubt. And I mean that, that perspective change is definitely going to be harder than – I mean obviously easier said than done. But because a lot of the times people will – they'll almost identify with with their shortcomings for lack of a better term. Like their insecurities. They'll, they'll go, oh, I'm just – I'm an alcoholic. I'm a smoker. I'm am I'm a whatever. Well, as soon as you start to identify and label yourself as that, then when that is taken away – then you don't have anything to identify with. So it's definitely definitely a rough challenge to have that perspective change. But that being said, it can literally happen instantly. It can – you can like – I mean I've – my dad tells me this story about he just wakes – he woke up one day in college. He was almost flunking out. He was doing all this. He was just doing a bunch of partying and that's the only reason he was there essentially. And he woke up one day and he just kind of was like, hey, like this is not where I want to be. This is not the path I want to be going down and so it can be a pretty quick perspective change it's it's definitely tough to kind of reconcile with like i know in my specific my case it was like i was i was known throughout high school to have to have vapes and to be mr vape dealer and all that good stuff and mr vape yeah dude don't even get me started they called um they call me spencer fiend that was (laughs) i was i was and i was 14 i was freshman year that was known, especially on the lacrosse team, as Spencer Fiend, and that was just who I was. And when I, when I started to kind of – because, I mean, when I was 14, I genuinely didn't think there was much wrong with b- being known for vaping. Like, I was genuinely, like, just making an honest mistake. And then I started to realize, like, oh, shit, like, I'm more anxious all the time. I'm not breathing as well. It's harder to run. And I started to kind of be like, all right, maybe I should not do this. Before, I was like – really hooked on it that that much. The biggest problem was was like, okay, but if I stop doing this, then like who am I going to be? Like what am I going to do? Like what is my personality going to be? So you kind of so I I identified with that almost and it took I mean, that was enough to hold me over until I got really like physically kind of hooked on it and then that lasted for another, what, four or five years until I could really look back and reflect. And then I did have that, it was almost overnight, really, where it it I finally decided that I knew I needed a perspective change and it needed to happen, so I made it happen. And it wasn't fucking easy, like, it, it took a lot of reconciling and what I really want and Dedication and and focus genuinely because it's something that you need to consciously think about, especially at first. Like now, I don't I don't give it a second thought. Like I don't ever think about it anymore. People do it around me, but not as often. But you know, if I see someone around doing it, it just doesn't. I don't bat an eye. It's right. I mean, you be and 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 to kind of
0: piggyback off your point, like you become addicted to to thoughts and into yeah. thought processes. It's not surprising that people find like like you 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 hear it often people find comfort in sadness yeah because it's all they know so you know when when like i said when you set it up to the point where where your body in in your mind only knows this negative type of thought process again it's inevitable that you're going you're going to flock to it and, and it's it's just a snowball effect. It's just a, a monumental spiral and, in, 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 you know, negatively on the y-axis. And you keep falling down and down and down and down. And it's like bad news doesn't get better with age. That's It's a, that's a very it, – it, it's a tried and true concept. So the longer you wait to face your bullshit – harder it's going to be more built much up much more difficult it becomes and like like we're kind of going back to that stoicism for a second too same idea the longer you wait to face the reality of the situation the harder it's going to become to face the reality of the
1: situation 100 i don't know if you've ever i don't know if you've ever watched big mouth um i mean I, I watched it for a while um they i thought they had a really good depiction of what depression is and um they have the hormone monsters. It's like it's pretty much the show is just about uh, kids, like twelve, thirteen, middle school age ish, going through puberty, and the puberty is symbolized by these monsters that follow them around that people don't see, and they're called hormone monsters. And so they pretty much, they pretty much act as like the, the intrusive thoughts, I guess you could say, of of kids, like the so. I mean, just a stupid example, like, they'll be walking around, and if a kid sees an attractive girl, or a girl he finds attractive, he'll, the hormone monster jumps out behind, it's like, oh, let's rip her clothes off, and oh, let's get into it, like, some really nasty dark shit, deep shit, but it's like, those are the, those are the thoughts, that, those are the negative thoughts that can happen, um, and so pretty much the, the monsters in the show, they represent those different thought processes and emotions, and, um, one like for a little bit in the show one of the characters comes becomes depressed and the monster is a, a fat giant uh cat and it's nice and, and it's smooth talks to you and it's oh come here honey it's okay let me give you a hug and it's very welcoming and warming and it feels good to just oh it's okay i'll just accept where i'm at now it's comforting because you don't it eliminates responsibility, which in the long run, obviously, is not very wise. But in the short term, it alleviates the pain, and it's just kind of more comfortable day to day. And so it's, um, and then you get pretty wrapped up in it too. You know, you get nice and cozy, you get under your blankets, and you just, oh, I'm just gonna avoid everything. And
0: right, it, it it's it's the mask.
1: Right. Yeah. You. It's it's avoidance. It's it's almost a denial of reality, but it's not even a denial. It's it's just a lack of willingness to face it in the first place. It's not, it's
0: right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's not. And that's the thing too. It's not, it's not in the name of harm, right? It's, it's It's like, I'm not, people aren't trying to, to harm themselves anymore. They're trying to find a way out. And huh. what I'm suggesting is that the way out is up to you, not up to the situation around you. Right.
1: Yeah. No, it's, Yeah. And it's up for you to discover too, because it's not just going to always be immediately obvious. Unless you are in true denial, then it's not always going to be immediately obvious about what is the best path to take. Cause you can be in some pretty shitty situations that are, that really uh, foster those negative thoughts and emotions. Like there could be some pretty bad stuff and there might not be any necessarily good options, but that doesn't mean there's not a least bad option, you know? Well, that that's the thing. It's like,
0: people always tend to look for the perfect option and it's like you know what you could benefit right now just from the best option yeah 100%. not the perfect one but the best
1: out of them well that's just like out that's just people looking for a quick solution um i don't want to like generalize or anything but it's it's very easy to get caught up in like all right i'm just gonna try and one one size fits all just full solution fit everything fix it all right in this moment and and then you won't have to deal with that after that and that's a good thought but i mean for however many problems there are in the world never mind for each individual person i mean it's i mean jordan peterson happen.
0: says it best he's like, it's like if, if you want to start to pick up the pieces of your life vacuum your room once a week yeah like your best bet is not to jump into full life control your best bet is to start somewhere
1: right and and whatever and it's a lot of that too it's tough because you have to kind of put your ego aside and we talked about that in the last podcast but you have to put that ego aside to be able to um accurately and objectively diagnose your current situation and what you're genuinely able to handle because if you like you said if you oh oh, i'm I could do all that. I can handle that. I, I just don't want to. But I can. I'm gonna. And then you try it, and then it's, oh, shit, maybe I can't. Like, you, it's important to put that ego aside and to kind of recognize that. You know what? I, I could probably clean up – I could probably manage cleaning up my room once a week. Like, I could probably – I could – that's probably a pretty good consensus that I could come to. But maybe I'm not going to do it de- religiously every day. You know, it, it's – so kind of finding that medium – Finding that middle point. Um, and then from that middle point, you can you can grow from there. You can, you can, okay, now that I've been doing it once a week for two months, now maybe I can up it to twice a week because I know I have time here and there. And you can fit it in more and it becomes easier because your baseline, like we were just talking about, your baseline has become a little bit higher now. And now once you're up there, if you actually, if you didn't just throw yourself up there without, uh, without concern for how you would actually feel about doing that then you might you might be able to s- maintain that level of baseline right right
0: yeah i mean as meek mills said it best there's levels to the
1: shit <laughs> dude that's a that's i mean one of the greatest philosophers of our time <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah right next to rose mm-hmm. um all right, I want to get into the mullet trap a little bit. So, like I said, this one is going to be like this is going to be my perspective on the mullock trap because, like I said, I just learned this concept and what it what it sort of lays out is that there is like a a I'm just gonna read off what what I put on here for some notes. It's spiraling phony versions of increased self-involvement in the name of success with no regard for the detrimental effects it leaves in its path. So I heard the example of, of, um, a concert right now. I'll, I'll get, I'll get to the bigger example and how I see this kind of coming to fruition in society. So the best example I can give for the mall trap itself is, and I heard this on Simon Senex podcast. Um, I can't remember the guest's name, which I, I wish I did because her stuff is awesome, actually. And so she had brought up an example of pretend you're at a concert, right? And you're not, you're not in the bleachers, right? You're not, you're not at like Gillette where there's, there's certain like, the, you know, there's levels of, of each, each row of seats. Everyone's on the same level, right? And so the people at the front VIP, they have the best seats in the front row at that concert and they decide to stand up. So they already have the best seats in the house. They want them a little bit better, so they stand up. All right, fine. Now row two has to stand up because they can't see. And then row three stands up, and row four, and row five, and row six, all the way to the very back because the the preceding rows can't see in front of the ones in front of them. So what happens is that once everyone's standing, where's the common census around everyone to sit back down? There is none because there's now been a an an increased sort of like focus on you know, row one's self involvement. And then once once row one stood, row two was like, What the hell? I can't see now. So they stand, right? But it's like okay, but you knew it sucked to have the people in front of you stand. So why are you doing that to the people behind you? And so it's a const it's a constant like like, chase to the, it, it, it's like a chase to the top, right? But why I add in there, with no regard for the detrimental effects it leaves in its path, you know, this is obviously not a detrimental, do-or-die type of situation. It's a concert. But what I like to compare it to is take, for instance, media. You have the giant conglomerates like CNN and Fox, and this is this actually dates back semi-historically, but not like a, not historically, meaning 100 years ago, you know, 50 years ago, whatever. The news used to be informative, right? It used to be informative, and it, to be quite honest, it used to be positive. Yeah. And what one news station realized was that if I just provide negative content, Viewership spikes. Clickbaity bullshit. Yeah. In, re- in, in reoccurring viewership, spikes even more. And, again, let let let's let's first break down why that that happens. Viewers are human beings. Human beings are wired in self defense mode. When negative things occur, we let we like to try and rationalize them and prepare. Yeah. That, that's just inherent in our nature. So. Whatever the, the largest media conglomerate decided, okay, I'm gonna start to I, I'm already the biggest. We're already the most successful. We already have the the largest amount of influence,
1: but it can be better right And the it's probably it probably has some their ability to discover that fact of like, oh shit, if we just like fearmonger, then we can get more reoccurring views. That probably stemmed from their success because what their success becomes, greater research teams and greater product development and so the the people on top are the ones innovating and they're the ones that are going to figure it out because they have the resources to do so right exactly so
0: and 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 i'm also going to get to the the governmental version of this as well so like i said you add in this element of negative content and then number two right number like News station number two, the people right below them say, shit, they're smoking us right now. Why is that? Let's see what they've been putting out for content. Oh, this is different now. It's it's negative. It's fear mongering. It's clickbaity. But it works. So then they do it, right? Because now this the bar is set higher, the, the competitive bar is set higher, and it makes its way all the, you know, down the roads, right? And then the smaller ones say, "Well, I want to get to the top too." And it's like,
1: it's "Not gonna do that." The yeah.
0: new, the new baseline is this that they, they they create the new baseline, and so the reason that this is a problem is because, you know, I'll put blame where I think blame is um, in terms of things like this being allowed to happen, and this is going to be a controversial opinion, but. I put a lot of blame, unfortunately, on like a capitalistic society, which just full transparency. I am a full blown capitalist, but it has its flaws. And this is one of them, right? The ability and incentive to have complete and utter competition and and there's not, you know, there's little to no encouragement for you know a healthy amount of competition because again it's like yes you're you have the right within a capitalistic society to increase viewership by way of just really whatever you see fit right it's, it's yeah. like the, there's no limitations on being able now you can't spew on you you, you can't spew things that are untrue right i mean it ha- they they have to be which that's not a conversation
1: I'm going to get into today because <laughs> yeah. they're pushing that line. Let's to say that.
0: The, yes. Yes. Yep. They, t- talk about people who are articulate with their words. They're, they're yeah. the source. Yep. Um, but the whole point is just like you get to a point and, and, and we, like I said, I'm bringing this to a large, large scale, like the the news, the media um, and in government too. But it's like, even us as people, we have a mullet trap. We have this trap of, Looking at our competition around us, right, wrong, or indifferent, and using them as the baseline. When in reality, sometimes our competition is not doing the right thing. They're not getting to the spot that they need to be at or or that they are at now with ethical behavior, right? And it's like, it's up to you as the individual to have sort of this this line of this line drawn in the sand. Like what where will you cross and where will you not touch? So underlying morals and values, yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. It it's like it's it's living a virtuous life. And you know, the fruits of your labor are great. And being number one is awesome. That's what we all strive for. But let's not get it twisted. Number one, you know, Sure, if if you want to be number one in the financial game, and that's all you care about, then, yeah, I guess you'd be number one, right? Because you would have no regard for any detriment left in the past. But what does number one mean? Because in my eyes, it certainly doesn't mean be number one financially with zero regard for anybody else right at the expense of others right
1: yeah at that point you're not even gonna like who you've become like you i mean this is why wealthy people have problems as well and their money doesn't just solve everything like people will still have those problems and a lot of it stems from how they got that money was it ethical was it was it done in a moral way because if you don't then you're You're destroying your own definition of what it is to be good. I I don't think anyone's definition of what it is to be just an overall general good person is to just have as much money as possible. I don't think anyone's going to decide on that. But people are willing to sacrifice that highest ideal in order to gain monetarily and to gain in the short term. And maybe you you might even get generational wealth. And even in that scenario, it's still it's still almost a short-term satisfaction of not even short-term necessarily on like a timescale but on a narrow narrow perspective of what's important in like yeah congrats you've you've accomplished that one having money that's a pretty that's a pretty big issue and a pretty big concern for just about anyone obviously but it's not everything and people get caught up in that and it people will sacrifice their own ideal and then once they realize that they go oh shit yeah i have money but i don't even like who i am you know right so it's yeah you put your morals first
0: yeah well and, and that's kind of you know that's kind of the point behind it it's like there's you know they like it's just it's it's a competitive nature but there comes a point in time where like y- you do need to understand the risks of the competitive nature because you know, like I said, who, who, who is now the mediator to tell all the media companies to be truthful right now or to be, to be positive, to be informative.
1: Exact. Ever. All of a sudden one day everyone looks up and just goes, what now everyone hates media. No one trusts the news. No one trusts the government. And it, everyone hates media. And like, that I mean, it just seemingly happened overnight, but it was a slow process of people kind of pushing the boundaries of what they could get away with in order to, in order to gain in that specific instance. Um, one of the something that I've heard from Jordan Peterson, which is, um, which I think ties into this pretty well, is um, you can't sacrifice the you can't sacrifice the whole game to win a sub game. So in the In the instance of, I don't know, let's say being a reputable media company, um, if that's your ultimate goal and being the the best media company, maybe the sub game to that is going to be getting the most viewership for the next however long future. And you might get that, but that might be at the expense now, I mean... People typically don't trust those bigger outlets as much anymore, and that has to have a hindrance on their viewership. Like, people are going up elsewhere for for news and information. People are going to Twitter. Right? Dude, that's <laughs> not... Or f- formerly known Twitter. <laughs> right. When people are relying on Twitter to get their news because they don't trust regular news outlets, then, like, that's a problem, and that's... And we see it now. Yeah. We see it. I mean, it's, it's like...
0: Like, I don't trust media. Yeah. I, like... But, I don't know but, anyone who does. <laughs> no, no, no. And it, it it it's horrible because it's like you also see, and I, I was listening to a video today and uh, who was, I, I want to get this right, whoever was talking, because the topic was about like, you know, who it was a Joe Rogan podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he was talking about how like schools aren't teaching kids to be Curious. They're not teaching kids to ask questions. They're handing them a textbook and saying, "Learn this because this is right." And a lot of the time, actually, what I've learned is what we learned back in elementary school was dead wrong. Oh yeah. Was like not even not even like a a a version of the truth, dead wrong. Yeah. And so we're not taught to ask questions. We're taught to just sit down, shut up, and listen. And so, you know as that pours into our, our lives in adulthood, we look back and we say, well, okay, we just saw this video. Like, actually, you know what? This is, this is a funny example, but I, I think it's a good example. I, today I saw a video of somebody reacting to a, a Twitter thread between, um, Trump and Caitlyn Jenner. Okay. And, and Caitlyn Jenner said something to the effect of, I wish a straight man would just tell me that I looked good. And Trump supposedly just tweeted back nice balls. <laughs> is is oh, well, that I... real? No. But I go to the comments and people are freaking out. Now, you know what? I, I, honestly, I, I'm not even going to speak on, on the validity of it just yet because I didn't confirm it. I find it. I, I think I probably would have seen that on national headlines if he said something like that. Right. So I'm willing to bet it wasn't true. Right. And the reason I bring that up is because it's like so many people in the comments believed believed it, right? Because they had a a, a specific misconception and uh, or, of 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 Trump, right? And, and love him or hate him, that's not what we're getting into right now. What we are getting into is that, you know on both sides of the political spectrum on, on both sides of every spectrum, we're becoming more and more polarized And with polarization comes hopelessness. And with hopelessness, we allow ourselves to attach to anything that seems real. And so, you know, taking the blame off the media for a second, just the idea of this mullet trap being like, you know, we, there is so much fake, you know, fake realities if you will quote unquote out there fake truths and the reason i call them truths is because they are there is little to no curiosity or questioning anymore these days like it's not normal especially like in school to question the validity of a topic that your teacher's talking about like oh did this really happen right Right? and it's like you know the more and more that we allow ourselves as just people in general, I'm not even talking from a society standpoint, I'm just talking as, as individual people, the more and more we avoid asking the hard questions, right? Looking at things objectively, not subjectively. The more we do that, the more hopeless we feel. And the reason for that, again, is because if we have no trust, we, I, and inherently we want trust, right? We're, ch- we're chasing because we're, we're not, we like, we like answers to questions, right? There's a reason that we're such a progressive society. And I, I don't mean progressive in the, in the liberal term. I just mean progressive in, you know, we're always trying to solve problems. We're always like, if there's a problem that occurs, the science is trying to figure it out. If there's a problem that occurs, on the job site, construction workers are trying to figure it. Like the Problems are always trying to be solved. So we're a problem-solving nature. So when you don't understand something and it seems to affect your life in one way or another, if you don't question the validity of the answers you get, but yet you don't have the answers, the lack of answers makes you feel hopeless. Right. And the sheer, you know, fake truth that you see can become... That one thing that you attach to, to fill that void of hopelessness, and so it's it's just it's like I said, and, and, and then and then what happens is you attach to it so much so that you become you become the giver of the mullock trap, right? Now you start spewing off this bullshit for with no regard for the next person who listens
1: to it. We were we were talking about this last podcast. That's being ideologically possessed. You don't you don't even question what you just hear. Something that sounds good and it comforts you because. Obviously, we do like to have our answers to our questions unknown. When you don't know something, then the answer could be anything. And that's way too overwhelming to conceptualize. So people will absolutely cling to any answers. And then to in order to question that, it's tough because in order to question that the validity of that topic, you have to go back into the unknown. And you have to go back to, okay, well, maybe this might not be the answer. You have to let go of that comfort and walk right back out into the land that you don't know. And try and decide for yourself, which is going to be a longer process, what is – you're going to have to determine what the – what you feel is the most accurate answer. And it's it's so much – it's so tempting when the answer is being handed to you on a silver platter to just cling to it and, all right, that's it. But right. it's not – obviously, that's not going to – not going to pan out well in the long run because eventually you're just going to be shown up by someone who knows something – I mean, just – this is just a, a more practical example. Like someone can literally just walk along who knows more about the subject than you and just completely prove you wrong and destroy you in a debate. And then you look dumb. And right. I mean, that's just one small practical example, but like that sucks. And I would think that anyone would want to avoid that as much as possible, but you'd hope, right. But I mean that, but that, when there's
0: no such thing as objective truth anymore, right. Or objective reality, I should say then, we get into a very dangerous spot because yeah. when when you claim that your truth or, or your f- whatever you have to say that that you know whatever garbage is going to come out of your mouth in 5 seconds not you I'm just saying <laughs> what I'm talking to whatever garbage is about to come out of your mouth if you 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 know the idea that you're going to tell me that uh, that is objective reality and go so far as to say that is my objective reality. There is no such thing as your objective reality. <laughs> that that like that's like saying my objective reality, my objective consensus is that there's no sun in the solar system. It's like okay, well your objective consensus is wrong. Right. It's yeah. like there are black and whites in society. Yeah. Like yeah. Th- like like there are concepts that are irrefutable. So you know, a lot of the things right now that we're, we argue about in society and with each other in general is like, it, it's baffling because 99.9% of them are irrefutable. So the fact that we're even arguing about an objective realities, again, makes me believe that, that, that mullet trap that we're talking about is so real because Uh, sort of the way it's come to fruition and showing us that there has been zero regard for what was left in the path of destruction from fighting so hard for a goal which actually sends us into our next topic which I'm actually going to connect the two instead of isolating this next topic because what I put here is having hyper-focus on the fruit from the tree before the seed is planted is going to dilute the process of growing. Light at the end of the tunnel and you're at the beginning with binoculars, which doesn't allow you to see the obstacle throughout the tunnel, just the end goal, right? And I'm going to connect these two topics only because I see that in... in competition... Like in this media example, right? It's like you're so hyper-focused on what this negative, you know, fear-mongering type of content could do. You're you're so focused on how it could increase business before you actually plant the seed, right? Before you actually test the waters and see, is this something that's going to cause destruction, right? Right. What you see is the light at the end of the tunnel. And instead of looking starting at the beginning of the tunnel and say, I'm only going to work up to the point where this doesn't work anymore. You put on a pair of binoculars and everything cuts out, right? You're just hyper focused to the end of the tunnel and everything on the sides, all the obstacles that are in your way. Or in this case, obstacles that are in your viewers
1: way that you're creating,
0: you don't see because you're so focused on the fruit.
1: Right, you're, yeah, you're more focused on gaining the views in that short term than, and that's the sub game rather than, you know, actually providing good information to your viewers, and that just completely goes out the window, and then what's, what's the game of media? Like, the whole point of media is to provide people with accurate information, accurate and relevant, and when you sacrifice that to just get clicks and views, obviously that's going to be important because even towards providing accurate information because if, you, I mean, you can have the information but it's not going to mean anything if you don't if you don't get the public public's eyes on it. Right. But that also doesn't mean that it trumps the the importance of of providing the accurate media in the first place. So, right. Right. And honestly,
0: one of our other points we were mentioning was was about nurturing effective conversations and constructive debates and this sort of plays into our topic as well it's like you need to you need to question even your own beliefs yeah right and the only way to do that is to have an effective conversation especially an effective debate especially a conversation with somebody who, who doesn't agree with you? Who comes from a complete opposing side of the spectrum? And again, like everything that I'm saying right now is not specific to politics. It's just right now, I think politics is the most, I, I, I guess, well-renowned issue that we all face. So it's a good example to use. But I mean, this goes, this goes into any topic, really. And something my aunt told me when she was going through law school, which I thought was really cool, was that her whole semester grade was based on this one project. And this one project was that you're given a case and you need, you, 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 at the end of the semester, you need to fight the case, right? So they tell you, you're the prosecutor or you're the defense attorney, right? And so all semester, you, you figure out how to fight for your client, right? it's obviously a hypothetical, but they're given real cases. They're just not given the client. And they sit in front of a panel of five attorneys. And you know what the coolest part is, is that when they walk into that room, all the attorneys say, okay, now pretend you're the opposing, right? If you walk in as the prosecutor, okay, fight as the defense attorney. And everyone's like, what the hell? This wasn't who I was supposed to be. Very few people, my aunt was one of them who actually did succeed, built the case for the opposition. She didn't know she was going to get asked to switch sides on a whim. But the reason they do that is because the only way that you understand, you fully understand a situation, or like in, in this instance a crime, is if you understand both sides. Right. You can't be a prosecutor without knowing about the defense, what they could come at you with, but also like then being so naive as a prosecutor to miss certain, certain elements of a case, like, you know, especially if this is mo- more along the lines of like call it a self-defense case where, you know, if a prosecutor was so naive to not even know the, um, sort of like the, the extent of what this self-defense um, suspect, if you will, had to do, right. It's like, yeah, you can prosecute this person up until the point where it's like, okay, well, if I had built a case for, for the defense, then I would have logically figured out that, Hey, well, my client who is now, you know, maybe dead, right. Because obviously, you know, given this hypothetical, my client maybe wasn't necessarily in the right, right? And it's like it's like you need to understand that other side. You need to build a case for the other side in opposition to you in order
1: to fully understand your side. Right. And yeah, and it's not necessarily we yeah, you, you use the term in opposition to you and that's I mean obvious when you're when you're in it when you're in that scenario, that's that's true, especially in the in the um in the case of a lawyer, but it's not necessarily an attack against you personally. It's just trying to come to a consensus about what's accurate rather than, like we've talked about plenty of times, just blindly defending an idea because you want to defend it. I mean, right. it's you obviously you want to win the case, but do you want to win the case at the expense of potentially letting someone who killed someone innocent? go free like it's it's it definitely important to see both sides to make sure that you come to the right final conclusion rather than to have your ideas be conveniently uh what's the word backed up right yeah in like i said that this
0: this plays into life it's like you know how can you be in full-blown opposition to somebody without understanding their side right because it's like if if you only know your side well number 1 that's that's obviously clear bias but number 2 going back to this idea of like subjective truth it's like no 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 There's a reason that there's two sides. There's a reason that there are opponents. And it's like, you know, I do compare this to the political sphere just because I find it baffling that the two sides can't meet in the middle. I find it completely baffling. Like, it seems like such a simple concept to just meet in the middle on so many things. But the funny part is is it's like when a Democrat argues with a Republican— Right, in, in defense of a Democrat's idea. They're so, like, blind to the fact that the Republican, in that conversation, their their perspective on whatever it is, like, let's say they're... Let's, let's go so far as to say, like, a socialist arguing with a, a Republican. The socialist is so naive, or not even naive, but just so I, I I'm trying to think of the word, like removed from the fact that the Republican sees the same goal but in a different in a different manner, right? Like and but vice versa. The Republican is so ignorant to not see the fact that a lot of the time that socialist wants the best for people as well, but just wants a different road to take it. It's like when you don't build that case for the other side, like you know, I have no problem saying what, you know, not even what affiliation I am, but what's, what side of the spectrum I lean on. And it's like, even, even though I lean right, that doesn't mean that I, 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 like, I have friends who are, you know, of a more like socialist, economically driven background. Right. And, their ideas like once you once you learn a little bit about their ideas and their ideologies and what they like their goals it's the same thing as us or or at least us i'm speaking me and you know the at least the way i lean but it's like it's the same exact goal it's just a different road to get there
1: right we're all shooting for the same thing and that's something especially in politics that just gets completely thrown out the window like it's it's just people get heated and they want to argue um i mean this can on a more practical level this can even apply to like over sheltering and over protective parents who shelter their kids too much those kids are more i mean my one of my neighbors he um he was literally one of the best students in the country all through high school like he did all the clubs and engineering major i think like 4.0 just hyper genius and um, he went off to college and he did he went out, he went to arizona state and for anyone who knows anything about arizona state that's like one of the party capitals of the country and he he's I, I presume so sheltered that he he was exposed to this lifestyle, and then he—I think he failed one of his classes. Like he just went. I mean, I don't want to expose him too much, but he—you know—it didn't—it didn't pan out well for him, and he was just over sheltered. So even something as simple as like trying to—if you only expose either your kid or your friends or whatever it is—you only or expose, yourself or yourself, right? Yeah, you only expose to the good in life then that sounds in theory good obviously but as soon as the bad comes around which obviously it's inevitable you're not going to know how to handle it and you're not going to understand it like we were just talking about and you're not going to be able to come to a complete well-rounded accurate assessment of the situation it's going to be it's yeah you're just not going to know what to do with it right and it's like you know a good example
0: of that, too, is, is I had a, a teacher back in high school who was telling us he grew up in a very Italian family, and his parents started letting him drink at the dinner table at, like, 12. Very early. He never once went to college and got hammered and, like, hung over and falling all over himself because from from a very early age, he saw both sides, right? He he, he saw the middle. No. And unfortunately, for most people, it's the two extremes, or or just the one extreme, right? right? Like the super party animal for their entire life. Or sometimes they go from, like the, the whoever you know, from the perfect straight-A student to the absolute party animal failing,
1: and then you find the middle ground. But how much damage do you do in between? Right, exactly. And, uh, and I mean, he's come back from that as far as I know, and so he... You know, you can recover, but like you said, there's still going to be those damages that you're going to have to deal with, so it's it's no coincidence that some of the biggest companies in the world, some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time, they all started in some of the most humble beginnings. They, all, they started their company, like uh, Amazon started in a garage, Microsoft started in a garage, like they start from the bottom, and then once you see that bottom, then... I mean, you, you understand it and you know, you, you understand more than anything that you don't want to be there and you'll do anything when you're, when you've done nothing but live a nice sheltered, coddled life, then you, you realize that there's another side to that. Obviously it seems intuitive to be like, well, you want to, if you grew up in a nice rich neighborhood and you, you were coddled and you would want to avoid all the other stuff. But it's it's almost intriguing it's almost it's like interesting kind of but it's the curiosity spikes when you see like huh there's like a whole nother lifestyle like there has to be something to this and then you kind of fall down that trap a little bit and huh maybe maybe there's something to this drug stuff you know like and you're you're willing to risk the beautiful lifestyle you've been handed but it's because you haven't been exposed to that and you know, there's, there's risks to that. If you're overexposed to it, then you can fall down that trap and you can... It can be tough to get out, but it, you can't just completely... Uh, what is... I think it's Sleeping Beauty, I want to say. I think it's Sleeping Beauty. It's the story... Um, the king... I think it's like the prince and... I don't, I don't know the specifics. Of it, like the prince and the princess or whatever. They have their kid and they have the baby shower and then they forget quote unquote to invite maleficent who is the symbol of of all evil of the pure evilness of the world and they forget to invite her to the baby shower forget you don't forget about that kind of thing you they just wanted to avoid it and then what ends up happening is they cast a spell on her and then she falls asleep for like for or she's put in a coma basically and so you're put into this low place and it's as a result of not being exposed initially now obviously like when you're i wouldn't know i'm not a parent but i would have to assume that when you have a kid you want nothing but the best for them obviously and then you want to keep that the evil for lack of a better term more general out of their life and kind of keep them sheltered from it but it's i mean there's it's inevitable that bad things are going to happen and you're going to encounter evil people or not even people just just bad things in general and so trying to avoid that is just gonna as soon as you finally encounter it for the first time it's just going to knock you on your ass and there's it's going to be tough to get out of
0: right yeah i use the example that i i've been i've talked about and sort of offloaded on my last couple podcasts, the, um, the anonymous Facebook poster in the Salem residence page, who's, um, I, I, I reckon, a relatively um, larger fella. Oh, really? From what I can, what I can gain from this uh, description. Um, I also assume the anonymous poster was the mother of said large um, elementary school child. And it was at the beginning of the school year, And she was, uh, for lack of a better term, bitching in the Facebook group about how they should be shutting down the schools because her son goes to Seoul school and it's too hot in Seoul school and so they should shut it down. Um, And it's torture because she doesn't want him to come back again with quote unquote heat exhaustion. Um, So... Mother is looking out for her child. Absolutely. I'm not denying that. On the other hand, what are you doing as a disservice to your child by sheltering him so much that you're not even going to allow him to feel pain? Because if you don't allow him to feel pain, what's going to happen when the inevitable pain that you cannot control occurs? Because you you don't just... you, You don't get to... You get your kid for 18 years. After that, they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, they're out. And I promise you, there's, there are going to be days. And this is, I truly believe, why we, we see so many people who who, get themselves into this sort of like low depressive state. Is I, I truly do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that from an early age, they weren't, they weren't let in on the secret of yin-yang. Right? Yeah, it's like what what's good comes with bad, what's bad comes with some good. Yeah. It's like that. That's why you know that's why people say it's, it's like seriously the quote look on the bright side. It's like what that's really saying is just find the good and the bad.
1: Right, no, but it's always going to be there. Yeah. But
0: it's also like when something good happens, people say don't get too naive. Yeah, what's the bad and the good? And so it's you know this this idea that. You're you're going to polarize your child, or you're going to polarize yourself into one category of
1: feelings is preposterous because it's like it doesn't work. It's not going to happen, in, and and that in that example, it's it's particularly disturbing because that's uh, you know he, Maybe I'm sure the kid didn't have heat exhaustion, and I'm sure if the school was actually that. Um, not well kept then well you know
0: the funny part is is i worked outside all day in
1: pants
0: (laughs) that same exact day right like i was fine i I, we had people working up in attics we had we had the landscapers outside all day long next to rock right we had asphalt guys pouring asphalt it's like it's like dude listen i i'm sorry your your child like it literally was like i think it was like 88 degrees out it wasn't even like a I mean, yeah, 88 degrees isn't cold by any stretch of the imagination, Sorry. but it's not like a, like, what do, you, what do you think this is? So, like, the next day, she actually pulled her kid out of school, and I'm just, I'm just going, like, dude, the, one of the prior guests I had on, I just posted, episode nine, his name is Case Foster, and, and he, was, we I had this conversation with him as well, um, it, I, I like to have some conversations for the next couple of weeks, because I like to get a few people's perspective on it, and so... I asked him about it, or I I brought it up to him, and he, he was telling me when he was eleven, his dad's a contractor, and he used to make him put up insulation in attics. It'd be like 120 degrees, 110, 120 degrees, and I know exactly what he means. Those attics get scorching hot, yeah, yeah. and he would he'd be like, "Dad, can I can, can I be done? It's hot up here." He's like, "Is the job done?" He goes, "No." He's like, "Then you're not done." It yeah. it, it but, but you know what? It's like, did Case die? No. Did he get heat exhaustion? No. Did he? end up ever having to go to hospital no did he feel a little bit of pain
1: yeah and he grew from it and he grew from it and so that's well that's the thing right is like if if you're if you are not capable of letting your child deal with the same discomforts i guess that i mean literally the whole rest of the school is dealing with then what happens when something particular to them happens that is truly truly bad like uh, I mean if your kid can't handle being in the same classroom that everyone else is because it's slightly too hot then and it's a little uncomfortable and they can't handle that to the point where they have to be pulled out of school what happens if god forbid like your mom gets cancer like right what is going to happen in that case you can't even right. fathom what what how you could possibly react you're not going to be able to react to that you're not going to be able to handle it so you need to start small deal with some of the little discomforts and whatever it is. And then you're going to learn, you're going to grow from it and you're going to become stronger. And then when those real tragedies come that are actually real tragedies, then you'll be more equipped to handle it. Not just that, but it's like, um, you know,
0: something that I do that I put into practice, which is like a little, a little, uh, testament to Jordan Peterson's to something small is everywhere I go. I no longer park in the front of the park. I park at the very back. Every parking lot. It doesn't matter if I'm in a rush and I need to get one little thing in the store, like if I'm going to a birthday party and I'm like, I I just need a twenty-five dollar gift card. Like, in and out. I'll park at the very back of the parking lot. What is wrong with inflicting some pain upon yourself? Not not in a psychopathic way, right? Not not in a sociopathic type of, of of fashion, but inflicting a little bit of pain to harden yourself up because, you know, rain or shine.
1: You gotta. Snow you, definitely, or sun. you definitely have to do it productively. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that can be a slippery slope, but um... yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying like like dip your wounds in lemon
0: juice. It's just like right. it, just like hey, it, does it suck to walk through downpouring rain? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Is it necessary? No, probably not. But to tell you right now, we all get stuck in downpouring rain once or twice in our lives. And so. I'm not going to be the one bitching about it. Right. You'll you know be, what I mean?
1: You'll be ready for it. That might... But but that's such a, a, a
0: low-level example. You yeah, know it's what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, Yeah, it's a low stakes type of thing. But my point is it's like if you don't have people around you to train you up, take it upon yourself. Because, again, it's like it's well, – well, the first thing about it is that it's uh, that, that idea of – like pleasure now pain later right and it's like why don't you just why don't you switch that right why don't you do pain now pleasure pleasure
1: later right because that's how that's how the world works i mean what happens when you get a big cut and you get dirt in it what do you do do you try and mediate the immediate feeling or do you bite down on whatever it is and you dump it dump a bunch of bunch of hand sanitizer on it and you right. sanitize yeah. the wound yeah you clean it out if you get a canker sore best thing you can do for it and i've learned this through personal experience is you dump salt on it and right. that stings so bad and it sucks but it dehydrates it and it gets it out of there so yeah. it works out in the long run you sanitize your wounds you clean them up so that it doesn't produce long-term effects that are going to be worse than they are now right because it just I took a shot snubbles. from my
0: migraines. It was like an EpiPen. Like you slam it on your, your thigh and it's an injection. It's like, all right, that, that sucks. I mean, I'd rather not, but is it really worth the, the potential of having migraines every day? It's like, no, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit of pain now for a hell of a lot of
1: pleasure or yeah. lack of pain. It's Or a even, lack of pain. That's a not even way to put it. Yeah, it's not even necessarily that you're going to be feeling phenomenal, top of the world, cloud 9. Well, but that's a, yeah, you I, might I, avoid some negatives.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you say that because yeah, it, it's it, there does it there doesn't even need to be a gift on the other side. Right. It it just like it's just better quality of life. It's a better quality of life. Yeah, and and you need to work for that better quality of life. So no, it's not going to it's not free. No. Nothing's free. Um... Uh, The last thing that I wanted to end off on was this note right here. And I'm just going to read it point blank because I think it captures a lot of what we talked about today. I think that we live in a world where facts are subjectified and on a grand scale that rips apart society, but on a small scale, it tears apart your coherent decision-making. When you live in a world where there is no definitive just subjective facts within our own lives, especially in uncharted territories, it's no surprise there's no definitive. My suggestion to everybody listening is when you can't find definitive, go
1: for decisiveness. It's a good quote. And that is definitely a it's definitely a common theme where I mean we're we're a very progressive society and we're trying to break down the preconceived notions, I guess you could say, about the natures of reality and some of the more basic aspects of it and you know there's some benefit to that but the it can have a pretty strong impact in the opposite way of you know when you're breaking down these barriers and we have nothing else to cling to especially on something so some things that are so fundamental and embedded in our society really like some of these some of these more basic notions about Uh, about objective reality that are being broken down like they're the bedrock of our society and once those are broken down then i mean we are gonna have nothing to cling to and there's gonna be no no rock to hold us down so it's it's gonna be tough um yeah it's it's tough out here
0: it's a it's a a rough go um i'm i'm gonna do that that tradition where I ask the last guest to leave a question for the for the next guest. Um, so this guest here asked if there is a quote or mantra that reminds. Sorry, let me let me start from the beginning. Is there a quote slash mantra that you remind yourself of every day, and why?
1: Um, yeah, uh, I mean I don't know if it's necessarily. Every day, religiously, but um, it's pretty regular. Um, it's a clip with David Goggins. Get back to fucking work. There's always more to be done. You know, there's uh, at the end of the day, the solution to a lot of this chaos that we're talking about is to put your head down and not do what's comfortable. Put yourself outside of that comfort zone and create comfort where there isn't any. So that's not going to be easy. That's not going to be a freebie. So get back to work. I love it. I love it. Let's get back one. to fucking work, boys. Let's do it. All right. What's yours? <laughs> Oof. Um mm. I'm trying to think of something that isn't similar to the last one I used. Um if you were fifty years old now. Looking back on what you're doing today, what would you regret? Yeah, what would you regret? We'll leave it at that. I love it. What would you regret? What would you regret? What I'm doing, I don't know, man. I think I've been, you know, not to toot my own horn. I think I've been doing pretty well. Um, you know what? It's, it's probably the nail biting. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty bad nail biter, and I see. I'm identifying with the things that I'm doing exactly what I told everyone else they shouldn't do. I'm identifying with my, with my uh, insufficiencies. But um, yeah, I don't know. I bite my nails a lot. What about Spencer Fien? Spencer Fien. <laughs> That guy is – he's left in the dust. I don't know who that guy is anymore. That's but if you were me. 50 and looked back at, at
0: just your, your years from now prior to, what
1: would you regret? Oof. Um, yeah. I mean, it's tough because I, I think about regret a pretty decent amount, and I, I struggle between, like, of course I wish I didn't make the mistakes that I made – but at the same time, if I didn't make those mistakes, it was bound to happen at some point. So I, you know, am I hap- am I do I regret necessarily taking the path that I have? I don't know because I mean it, it it's working out pretty well as of now. Um, what I think I would regret more than anything is um, doing the things that I know I shouldn't be just because I think I can get away with it. Whether it's, I mean, something as basic as when I was a kid, like not listening to my parents, not, not doing what I knew was smartest, just because I wanted to, even just general arguments. If I get in an argument with a parent and I'm defending an idea that I subconsciously, and it's kind of creeping up to the conscious that I know is wrong, that I'm like, oh shit, but I'm just going to defend it anyway because I want the results. I I want this immediately. That shit it's it's a detriment. It just hurts relationships. It, once you If you do win the argument, then it's like, okay, then you're getting something that isn't even good for you. So, right. that fighting for things that I know at some level I wouldn't even want, I sh- that wouldn't even benefit me in the long term if I had them for free. It's kind of general, kind of broad, but tough to think of. I like of. that, yeah. Things that you would pay to get rid of yeah like i mean if back to the vaping example i mean when i was my parents first found out that i was vape they first found out about my um my they first found out about me getting into vapes by i told i actually told them that um because at the time, when it was becoming popular, it was actually legal to go. You just couldn't buy the juice that so you filled the vapes with. But mm-hmm. you could buy the actual devices themselves. And the the as the vapes were running through my school and it was becoming this phenomenon, everyone in my grade who wanted to do it was too scared to go into a vape store. And they didn't realize that you could just walk in and go buy it. So I would use it is i would make money off i'd go in and i'd say yeah give me five extra bucks and i'll go get you your vape and it's i wasn't doing anything illegal but i knew at some level it was wrong and then when it came to me actually using it i knew like it probably wasn't the smartest decision but i fought for it anyway because i wanted to be to be able to have my vape so that and that led to years and years of becoming a person who i didn't want to be and I just too much struggle the sh- the struggle just of getting out of it was not worth the pleasure of getting into it right
0: i've i've had my experiences with those uh vapular devices as well so i yeah. i i i know what it, i know what it can be like but no it's it's um uh, finding the finding the good and the bad it it sucked but it was certainly a good learning experience on how to get over a a certain addiction
1: Exactly. I definitely I I appreciate that I was able to hit that low so that I can raise above that and hit an even higher high. But at the same time it's it's tough to realize that you're the one damaging yourself. You're the one inflicting this this long term pain on yourself. It's yeah, it's tough realization, but I worked out in the end.
0: We all we all got it. Spencer Dean? psychology major soon to be psychological clinician hopefully down the road
1: ideally yeah (laughs) appreciate you coming on today bro thanks for having me man